0: It was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years, it it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away.
1: The passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh yeah, that's super simple and direct question.
2: It's always fun to get to speak about beer.
1: And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, we speak with James Brindley, Managing Director of Lion Beer Australia. James started with Lion way back in 1994, if you can think back that far. It was just two years after the launch of Forex Gold, which gives you some idea of the massive changes in the Australian brewing scene that James has witnessed during his career. As always, we talk about James's background and how he came to work in the brewing industry. But with so much having changed and so much fracturing in the beer market over his time at Lyon, I really wanted to have a look at how a large multinational brewing business changes its business to adapt to the changing times, and especially how it adapts to the increasingly local focus of modern-day beer drinkers. And we get that in spades. In fact, in another Radio Brews News scoop, we are privy to the announcement of two new local breweries being introduced by Lyon. When we were arranging the interview, James had asked if it was okay for Chuck Hahn to join us for the interview at some stage, and so Chuck joined us halfway through the interview to reveal one of the breweries, but then we also learned of a second one as a bonus. Even without the surprise breaking news, this is a really interesting conversation about the evolution of the beer market that includes the general manager of Lion Beer making the admission that he was wrong about one of Australia's fastest growing products. I hope you enjoyed this conversation every bit as much as I did. James Brindley, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thank you, Matt. Nice to be here. Matt, I've been very interested in having a chat with you for a long time, not least of all because of your position, but as we've sat back and watched the brewing industry uh evolve and particularly the the the, the pace of change over the last 10 years i'm always fascinated to speak to somebody that and i'm sorry to show your age just to some extent but who's been working in in the industry for 25 years and uh, discuss some of the things driving that change
2: yep it's uh probably the best industry you could ever imagine to work in.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about how you came to work in the industry because you did start back in uh, 94.
2: Yeah, I started in 1994 um, when I was 30 um, and my first job was business analyst. Um, At that time, I think the head office of Lion had about 20 people in it because (laughs) Castlemaine, Forex, Swan um South Australian Brewing all had their own managing directors marketing directors all all their own business units so it was a it was a funny job um but I I was born and bred in uh country New South Wales and grew up in Bathurst so my very first beer I had was a schooner of Tuhi's new in the commercial, commercial hotel George Street Bathurst so um I was very happy to to join two weeks it almost didn't happen because I'd been recruited um, at the time Lion was dealing with all the unions in the uh, breweries uh, with a thing called Project X. Anyway, they offered me a job and uh, I didn't hear back from them for six months. And I was so angry with them, I stopped drinking Tuis and I started (laughs) drinking um, Carlton Draft and Melbourne Bitter for six months. (laughs) And then finally they came back to me. So in a, in a different uh, universe, I would, I'd still be drinking Carlton Draft.
1: And what were you doing before, uh, it was your first position with Line? but what were you doing yeah. before that?
2: Uh, I got an economics degree, corporate banking trainee, so I was a, a teller on Commonwealth Bank at Wynyard. I then went back to Bathurst and worked for Mars Group in the pet food industry. I worked for Toyota. And then I did an MBA at Australian Graduate School of Management and I joined Eli Lilly, which is a pharmaceutical company. All those jobs were accounting. Um, I didn't like Eli Lilly very much because unless you were a pharmacist or a doctor or a medical degree, you sort of didn't go very far. And then um, Lion uh, picked me out of the uh, resume book of my MBA year and I thought, well, I know as much about beer as anyone else, so (laughs) I'm uh, going to join Lyon
1: and 1994 uh, was a very interesting time because uh, as you mentioned you know we it was the start of the period when state borders had started to break down and the, the yeah. beer market you know as yeah. a result of the John Elliots and the Allen bonds um but then we were also coming out of that recession that we had to have um mm. so unemployment was still quite high do, do you recall that time and what the beer market was like to enter
2: yeah i mean back then i, I guess if i could have my career again i'd be a bit more curious with things because I, I was a finance guy and just doing normal internal stuff i really was a bit scared of anything to do with sales or marketing and horrified to talk to a customer so <laughs> um i just remember back then vb was a juggernaut i think at its peak it was 33 percent market share so um it, yeah, it was a juggernaut and an almost unstoppable VB. So ye- years later, when Forex Gold knocked it off knocked it off its perch, that, that was that was quite a moment. But you know, we had all state-based brands. Uh Tui's Blue uh was the brand for us in Vic, the the uh low alcohol beer, of course Tui's in New South, we had Swan, uh and of course Forex. So the, the advantage Carlton had was they had a one big national brand, and we, we only had all those local brands. And, and to a certain extent, it's 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 a bit like that still. But um, I went and lived in China in uh, 1997, and that's I lived there for eight years, and that's where I got into sales and marketing and general management. So that was that was a wonderful experience going to China. And then I only really got involved in. This industry, as we know, it, when when I came back, which was 2005.
1: There was so much that you uh, passed over there. And I I did want to speak to China because uh, your your experiences there is quite interesting in in the current climate. But just even looking at that uh, national beer market, because you you mentioned that Forex was the beer for Queensland, for example. But of course, in those days, it was Forex... Um bitter, the, the, the heavy, and it, it's and uh, gold had only been launched in '92, so there was still that resistance to. I'm not going to drink that mid-strength stuff.
2: Yeah, I think Forest Gold story is amazing because who, who ever would have thought that um, the mid-strength beer would become the biggest beer in Australia? Um, I remember when we closed Swan Brewery, I I got the history of Swan. I think in the '70s. Beer consumption per capita was 170 litres per person. That's when we're up high in the world. Mm. Obviously, half that now. But I think Forex Gold, it just tapped into, okay, I can actually have half a dozen of these. I can still drive. I can still have a clear head and I can still enjoy myself. And I think Australia or Forex Gold has led the world in in, um, moderation of alcohol and beer. And you can see that today with um, Great Northern, um, Heineken Zero, Carlton Zero. So it just goes to show you the mindset doesn't have to be five percent plus. You can you can have a great tasting beer um, at three and a half or even three.
1: And it, that thinking is one of the things that you know has challenged me when I look at the emerging alcohol free market, for example, because Australia is a, is a world leader in that mid strength. Beer and because of the changes to drink driving laws in the seventies and and eighties and um, it 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 almost undermines that need for an alcohol free variant because we've become so good at drinking mid strength. But then there's this whole other healthfulness move uh, or um, emerging that's uh, driving the alcohol free. Where where do you see alcohol free is going? Will it supplant mid strength?
2: It's funny, right? Because you had like Tui's light. Foster's Light, is 2.2, and I think that came about because of drink driving legislation. It was sort of a, a regulatory thing drove that, whereas the mid-strength um, came about because of it fulfilled a legitimate uh, need of the drinker. Um, I think we'll find that's going to be mid-strength and zero, because the, there's not much in between now. like Harm premium light, so I think they can both live together and coexist. Just on on Heineken Zero, I, uh, I had the boss of Heineken Asia Pacific here last year, and we we went to Coochie Bay Hotel and we did a tasting in the front bar of Heineken Zero and Carlton Zero. And I said to him, you know, our predecessors would be ashamed of us uh, having a having a schooner a zero alcohol beer <laughs> in the front bar of Coochie Bay Hotel. But I'm excited about zero alk. Um, we're installing the equipment to manufacture Zero alk at Tui's Brewery. Um, so we import Heineken, but we'll have some of our own brands out this year. And uh, what's great is you can get a, a great flavour in Zero Elk, whereas in years gone by, it was pretty watery flavour. Mm. So I just think it's great for beer that um, you're going to have these beautiful products, no alcohol in them, and then you can enjoy the, the taste of a great beer purely for itself. So I'm quite excited about Potential. For zero alc and and other mid
1: strengths, it, it it's a fascinating mindset, though, isn't it? That you know, because the, the alcohol, um, you know, responsibly consumed, of course, but that that gentle relaxation that comes with the alcohol in in beer was always one of, and the the socialisation that it facilitates, um, yeah. it, it has always been such a big part of the enjoyment of beer. Um, yeah. That to take that out. Um, you sort of wonder, will, will some of that magic go with the alcohol?
2: Yeah, I think you've you've articulated beautifully what is great about beer. But, you know, if you're at the pub uh, and, and you're enjoying that moment and you've got a glass of water, you, I think you do lose it. Mm. I think if you've got a, a beer that looks like, smells like, tastes like, you're actually in the moment with your friends. So it may not be as good as, but it's better than the alternative, which is a soft drink or a water. Yep. So um, I think it it makes you part of the group. It connects you more deeply, and you and you do you you can hang out and have a few laughs and enjoy the moment.
1: And one of the things that fascinates me about beer is that the, the history of Australia can basically be you you can sketch out the evolution of beer um, in, in in the same way um, because they, they they do run in parallel. Yep. When you're running a, a, a big company like Lion, how, you know, how much do you have to be attuned to what's happening in society, not just in business?
2: I think in any business you should be, right? But particularly beer, where um, beer, we've got the best pubs in the world. Um, you know, just that feeling of, camaraderie, fellowship and, and sociability, um, you do have to be in touch with what's going on. And one of the great parts of being in this industry, you can actually go and meet all types of people who run pubs or run clubs, uh, retailers, and some really, really clever people who've made their own fortune or inherited it, made it bigger. So. You just learn so much uh, tripping around and, and talking to people. And I think that's where you can put your uh, finger on the pulse of things. Sometimes uh, you can predict it and get it right. And sometimes you miss it and, and get it wrong. But uh, it's just continual learning. And it's it's a, a
1: lot of fun. As I said, it's fun and fascinating because I, I've got a 19-year-old daughter who I have great conversations with. And I look at her and her friends um, and... When I was at university, going to the pub was our socialisation. I mean, it, it's what we did, and we had a beer. Yeah. And um, but I look at her and her friends, and there is so much about the way that they think about the world and the way that they engage with the world and yeah. their attitudes to the world that have changed. That will, will impact hotels, um, and will Im- Im- impact uh, what we're drinking. And you know, it, it, is that something that it's hard to predict or it's it, it's it's hard to keep track of? in a company like Lyon? Yeah, uh,
2: it, it, it is and it isn't. You've, you've got to be willing to um, have a go and, and trial things. And then if you get one right, that pays up, that pays for all the ones you got wrong. Um, I guess what we struggle with is, um, you, you know, there is no barriers to entry to the beer industry in Australia now. There's like seven or 800 uh, smaller brewers, right? Which, which makes the industry so much more vibrant and better and they can really turn on a dime. Whereas, you know, we're historically, I feel we've been a a bit slow. So we're trying to get faster to capitalize on these trends and rather than doing a well thought through highly expensive national launch with something, Hey, let's be like one of those little craft brewers. And let's develop something really quickly in, in one spot and um, try it out and, and adjust it as we go. So it's trying to take advantage of our size, but be as fast and as um, quick and as clever as those as 800 little breweries.
1: And, and I, I guess one of those wins that you've had that, that grew out of somewhere that was uh, regional was Furfy, which is a, a bit of a juggernaut these days.
2: Yeah. And I, what I love about that brand is it's just fundamentally linked to the history of Australia what's good about Australia, um, and, and just a deep character. Um, and the guys of, of Little Creatures um, uh, that we were a founding shareholder, and then we, we bought them out in 2012, they were the ones that uh, had come across the idea of this name Furphy. And so luckily we've been able to connect with the family and uh, build a, a really good and trusting relationship with those guys and they consented for us to use use their family name and it's been a really good experience for everybody i, I love that brand um and the new the new version furphy crisp lager is an absolute cracker and i think it's um going to be around for a long time and do very well
1: But there's a lot about, you know, I I describe it as capturing lightning in a bottle with a brand like that, where it is the name that has such resonance with the the Australian sensibility. But then there's something about the, you know, that old VFL jumper look of the the label that seems to have resonated and tapped into a a mindset or a nostalgia as well. And then also the beer, which is, you know, sort of crafty enough to, to be what we now consider as premium, but then still very accessible.
2: Yeah, I think you really hit hit the point spot on there. I, um, I was with a customer once and he, he sort of had a go at me. He goes, well, what is Furphy? Is it craft? Is it classic? Is it contemporary? I said, it's whatever you want it to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it does look old, but it's new. It does look craft, but it's not. Um, sort of, is it classic or is it contemporary? It doesn't really matter. What matters is it, it has an, an emotional affinity with people. And it resonates because it's it's true, and it's authentic, and it's good, and it tastes good.
1: And and you've summed up what I guess is the magic in any great brand. It it, it it's what you want it to be, but it still has incredible depth of meaning.
2: Yeah, and that's what we all try and do when we uh, launch brands or renew brands, and and. Uh, Sometimes you get it right and sometimes you go, how the hell did I ever make that decision?
1: (laughs) And and these are, again, there's so much about the beer industry I find fascinating and, you know, I would love to sit in on some of the marketing meetings um, when these things are being kicked around and then, you know, five Maybe you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) that's a very good point. But uh, how hard is it to, you know, take a... You know, did furphy come out of an insight or was it you know one of those things that the the, the, the tumblers just fell into place and uh unlocked?
2: So, like when we bought little creatures I thought awesome the best thing we're going to get out of this is we're going to have a brewery in Victoria and like we've got to make up a new brand and I think the brewery in Geelong which was originally a woollen mill was called uh, mill Mill Valley woollen mill or something and I'm going like all oh, right Mill Valley. Let's, let's name it after that. And they go, no, nah, look, there's, there's these water tanks and they're called Furphy and we're going to go and talk to the Furphy family. So I went, ah, oh, Furphy, that's that's just silly. Don't even do that. Mill Valley is much better. So um, I'm very happy to say I was totally, totally wrong on that. And the guys went and um, contacted Furphy family and, and the rest is history. So... Um, yeah, I mean, another, another good one is Kosciuszko, which is a fantastic craft brand. And, and uh, in, in line, it's often touted as a, a brilliant, uh, well-thought-through process. Uh, it wasn't because uh, Chuck Hahn come to me one day, goes, James, I've bought an apartment in Jindabyne. How about we put a little brewery down there? I went, yeah, no worries, Chuck, let's do it. Well, I think he spent about 10000 on developing the label. And um, we've got a good business partner down there, Peter Harris from Gosford, and he's got Banjo Patterson's. and we put the little brewery in, and boom, off it went. And um, that—that's all it takes.
1: One of the things that uh, you know I, I look at Furphy as well, um, quite apart from its individual success, yep. it's one of those products that has seem to inspire its own category. You talked about, you know, is it craft? Is it traditional? Is it mainstream? But we've seen a lot of, um, you know, well, a a very close knockoff might be the unkind way to say it, but uh, frothy, which seems to be very much targeted at that. But then we've also seen Coles bring out tinnies, which seems to want to draw on the same uh, sort of feel. And we've...
2: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, those liquids in those beers are okay, but they just don't have the fundamental truth and authenticity that that furphy has but but to be honest there's been plenty of times when we've bought out brands that have failed that because they didn't have fundamental truth and authenticity so you just got to get a couple right and not get them all wrong
1: (laughs) (laughs) and and i'm again looking at your craft strategy um yeah we've seen national brands um sort of come and go but the 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 craft strategy seems to be very much about that insight that and and i was reading an article earlier this week um in preparation for this where you talked about the growing move towards uh people valuing local um and we've seen lion invest in tiny mountain Uh, we've seen lion invest in umundi um uh and it's Lucky that uh, Chuck has just uh, joined us um, now, that, who's been responsible for some of those brands. But that's a, a big change from the way that the business was looking, which was very state-based with local management teams, as you identified at the start of your career. Yeah. We've gone to the highly concentrated, and now we are moving back to local. Is that just a natural evolution of the business cycle? I think it's
2: natural evolution of what people want in life and um what what and it's not just beer you see it in a lot of things people want uh to feel connected they want to they want to be part of the local area they want something that's handmade they want to know the person who owns it so it's not just beer this trends in um but i think beer in australia is a, a good case study where um you had a few large players And now there are almost nil barriers to entry. Um, As I said earlier, I I grew up in Bathurst. I think there's two breweries in Bathurst now. The last time there was a brewery in Bathurst was the 1800s. So you're going back to that that local um, connection thing, which is, you know, a basic human need to to feel part of something. And um, so our strategy is, well, we're a brewer and we can make good beer and we can market good beer. So... Instead of going and buying a lot of craft breweries, let's pick some spots and let's, let's invest a little bit and we'll build up a local one. We've got some great brewers and so we've got one in Tiny Mountain in Townsville. Uh, Chuck and I had, had a dream of restarting your Monday, uh, so that we finally got that one going. We're actually going to put a brewery back into the old Tui's Brewery in Grafton, which will be great for that,
1: that local town. Is that, uh, you heard it here first, folks, uh, moment? (laughs) Has that been announced anywhere else? Well, we haven't signed the contract yet,
2: but that's that's our intention. Um, There was a brewery built there in 1950s, and two bought it in the 60s and uh, closed it in the 90s. And the um, local, very successful local entrepreneur bought the site and he's, he's putting a lot of tenants into it. And he contacted me on LinkedIn in February. And I went, you know what? That's a good idea. So, um, yeah, that's what we're going to do with a local customer.
1: But that marks a big shift um, from the thinking that, uh, you know, the, the, the national breweries had to go to to look at how do you establish a local connection when you are a, a big um, company? Yeah.
2: And I think we're lucky because we've had Chuck guiding us for many, many years. Um, and that's what the Hahn Brewery started out. He was Chuck was a uh, well ahead of his time. And the Hahn Brewery at Camperdown was a little local connected brewery. Chuck did all the work himself, to made the beer, went around at night and selling it. So Hahn Brewery is the, the prototype of all the craft breweries in Australia today. And, you know, that's where James Squire started. Um, and it was a, quite a local brand when it started. So... <laughs> You can't go and buy every craft brewery because it just costs too much. You can't not participate in it. So our our strategy is to um, invest in some local partners, uh, go and build some little breweries ourselves, and and compete that way. Yeah. And uh, I think Matt
0: made a good comment that it's got to have that local connection, you know, that the local brewer connection. They they want to meet the, the meet the brewer and have a chat with him, have a beer with him
1: which was always very hard uh, with the national brands and I guess uh, again uh, James as a uh, as a uh, an accountant fundamentally uh, <laughs> to when you start with I, I, I guess there would have been a time when you wouldn't have you would have wondered whether the uh, numbers would add up having a lot of very small breweries nationally.
2: yeah, absolutely there, there would have been a, an era where everyone says that's just stupid why are you doing that but I mean, back in the day, I think most people had two, at most three beers in their repertoire that they would drink regularly. Now it's like eight beers. I mean, back in the day, you'd have no international premium on a tap bank. Now every pub's got international premium and, you know, you can see tap banks of 20 taps. though so, we're spoiled for choice. And and um, I guess 20 years ago, you wouldn't you wouldn't do that the only craft brewery we had was um, James Squire. And of course, we were a founding investor in Little Creatures. Mm. But we had no concept of building more or or owning more. Whereas now, um, you know, virtually every suburb's got a brewery. So you you have to compete. And to do that, you're going to have to make different decisions now economic, where they may not have been economic a decade or more ago.
1: And, And is the hope that... You Know Umundi will have a, a, a tearaway success come out of it the way that Furfy did and Kosciuszko has it. You know, Umundi Lager will become a major regional brand and yeah. the brewery incubates that.
2: Yeah, that's that's the theory. So, um, hopefully, uh, we get it, we get a few right.
1: And, uh, well, Chuck, uh, as I've uh, indicated, you, you, you've joined us because I, I was interested to learn that uh you and james have cooked up something that you're going to, that you're willing to sort of share with us on on this podcast
0: yes we we really haven't shared that with many people matt it's been sort of a secret project of james and myself over the last uh, two years tell us about it well the the initial connection was actually through uh ginger through the kosciusco brewery uh, a family there contacted us and said look um, we, we have some other people over at uh, Lord Howe Island, and they're considering putting a, a brewery in. And so they, they came to us as, uh, you might say, experts in that, uh, that small craft brewery area. And uh, so we've been talking to them for um, two years now. And we're finally to this day, to, I mean, we have the brewery. we prefabbing. That's the problem. The challenge, I think, really, at Lord Howe Island is the, um, I mean, it's, it's just a total population of 1,000 people. And uh, so there's, you can't go down to your local Bunnings and pick up something, <laughs> <laughs> and so everything has to be uh, prefabbed, you might say.
1: So, so, do you have a name for for the new the, the new venture? Yes, yep,
0: it's the, the Lord Howe Island Brewery. Brewery, and- <laughs> <laughs> really original.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would have taken a few marketing workshops to uh, to come up with.
0: Yes, it's it's the real one, and the the connection, I mean, is is so much. I mean, in fact, when they initially proposed it to us, they had mock-ups of a label that uh, had the, the big mountain on it that they have there at Lord Howe, mm. and kind uh, of akin to the, the mountain, Mount Kosciuszko that we have on the, the Kosciuszko Pale Ale, so it was sort of a, a copy or a, a spin-off from that one.
1: So what are the time frames for getting that brewery up and running?
0: Well, we hope to have, uh, actually we hope to have it run uh, before Christmas, but the island was shut for a number of months, and getting construction done on the island is is, is a bit tricky also. Um, I, I'll be very pleased if we actually have have a brewery going by March I think now.
2: Matt, yeah. you, um, I don't know if you've been to Lord Howe Island. I, I went there for a short holiday last year. It, it is the most uniquely beautiful place on the planet. It, it's just stunning. Um, and where where the brewery is going, it's um, Lord Howe Island is famous for kentia palms, which are very popular in Europe, indoor palms. So there's a kentia palm nursery on the site of the brewery. There's a beautiful historical uh, vegetable patch near the brewery, and it, it's just it's just stunning. Uh, Chuck and our, our business partners designed just two beautiful cans, a lager and an ale, and uh, it's called Lord a, a, a Taste of Paradise.
1: But I'm, I'm interested to hear James de- describe it, because I've never been to uh, Lord Howe Island. But thankfully, mm-hmm. I think you've just made it a tax deductible business expense for me to go now. Um, so thank you well, for that.
2: Then uh, be our guest. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's just I'm, I'm lost for words in, in describing how beautiful it is. It, it's just stunning, and um, we've got the Maxwell family and the island are, are, are actually the uh, owners of the brand um, and. We're putting the brewery in and, of course, um, it's very expensive to ship anything over there. So the cost of shipping the brewery over is, I jest, but it's almost as much <laughs> as the cost of the brewery. And so, uh, well, yeah, for the packaged beer, we'll, we'll make it on the mainland and a certain proportion of the sales go back to the benefit of the
1: island. And I guess that's the, the, the great challenge because you, you did say that it's got a population of a 1,000, so it's not a great business strategy no. <laughs> for, for, for Lyon to put a brewery that's uh, obviously looking at generating its revenue on the yep. island, but there, there's something about the the, the the island that you hope will resonate on the, the mainland here.
2: Yeah, I, I, this is where you got to balance what, what you do. Um, it'll be the most sustainable brewery in the world. Yes. Um, won't be... Zero carbon emission; it'll be neutral. Um, so, it, we're not going to sell a lot of beer there on the island. But uh, if, if we do it correctly, I think we can build quite a uh, following for the brand uh, on on the mainland. We're not making much money out of it, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just felt like what a what an opportunity in life to put a, a little brewery on this beautiful island, help the local community, and just create something from nothing. That's what Chuck's done his whole life. He started Han, he started James Squire, he started Kosciuszko, got your Mundi back up and running, and, and now he's gonna have um, Lord Howe Island to his resume as well.
1: Now, I think I approached Chuck just, just with an idea last year about when the, the Han Pilsner um, and it, it, the, it, Chuck had mentioned to me that the original Pilsner was a little bit different to, to the beer that was released. And uh, when I went to him with the idea of, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could just have get a homebrew kit and knock up a, a batch of the original Pilsner? I believe that he actually came to you um, with the idea. I, I, I keep hearing these stories that, you and Chuck have a very good relationship, and sometimes he can uh, expedite processes by, uh, by by coming directly to you.
2: Well, we're good friends, <laughs> and we worked together a long time. And you only got to you only got to see what Chuck's done for beer in Australia, um, and that list of brands he's created. So, I think that in itself demands a certain amount of uh, respect and. Um, uh, you know he needs to be listened to. So I've learned a lot from Chuck, and uh, therefore I'm prepared to back him on uh, almost any of his ideas.
1: How? How in a? Um, I guess we're stepping back into the, the the corporate chat a little bit. When when you're the managing director of a company like Lion, and obviously there are processes and there's business good business practice. But when you do have resources like Chuck how hard is it to balance the sort of formal processes and still have that dynamism that comes with mining um, that sort of individual experience? Uh, And do do, do, do people in marketing departments get upset and sort of... uh... Yeah, yeah. I've I've had
2: a few people come and complain about Chuck. And I always go, Chuck? Until you've done what Chuck's done, you listen to Chuck. Um, But sometimes... uh, Chuck has to let go of stuff. And uh, when he lets go of stuff, there's always a quid pro quo. Well, if you let go of that, you can have that. So uh, it seems to have worked out well so far. Like, <laughs> you, you better answer that, Chuck.
0: Yeah, no, it's, um, I think we've we've developed a very good relationship over the years. And where he's supported me and I've uh, complained to him about many things. And I think the marketing people probably have complained about me more than anyone else. He's <laughs> complained uh, to me about me as well. As we, as we mentioned, we, uh, James and I do get results. And I think, uh, I think the history of us working together has, has shown that. And, uh, and it's been to the real benefit of both uh, the brewing industry in Australia and in New Zealand. And, uh, and, and, also to the, uh, the, the forward movement of, of Lion getting into craft beer this way.
1: It, it, it's funny you say that Chuck, because, uh, Sometimes I think your observations about big brewery marketing departments have been even a, a, a little bit more uh, uh, assertive than mine <laughs> so it, 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 but but it's it's part of that creative tension I'd imagine in a in a large business trying to get all of those uh, pieces of the puzzle um, bringing out the best in a business
0: yeah that's that, that, that's his trouble and I think the the main thing is to to know what's happening out there in the marketplace you know and be out there talking to people about beers and uh, and and know what's needed out there. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that when we get, a, you know, these marketing focus groups together and everything else, rather than just going out and talking to people.
1: James, looking at your, and, and just picking up that idea, just looking at your 25, 26 years uh, with yeah when the... Industry was pushing for for, for national brands. I, I guess there's economies of scale and all of the benefits that come with that. But was there a little bit of a loss of focus on the product through that? That we now that, that almost the craft beer movement is almost a reaction against that.
2: oh uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, the beers that Lion and Carlton and Coopers, the big breweries make, they're all extremely high quality products consistent as good as beers anywhere in the world uh i think it's a bit of a fallacy that um, big breweries beer is full of chemicals and this and that and the other thing and you know it serves the interest of smaller brewers to create that thought but it's just not true
1: i i I, that that wasn't so much uh yeah it certainly wasn't a suggestion that the beer wasn't quality um but you know there, there was a focus on selling Sort of one big brand nationally, very successfully.
2: Yeah, I mean, you look at, I mean, if you look at the history, you know, VB was huge, then followed by Forex Gold, uh, followed by Great Northern as the main brands in, in Australia. Um, I think the challenge for the bigger us, us, bigger breweries, is just that people wanted more choice and more variety, and we were sort of investing in. Brands that probably didn't fulfil the needs of the modern drinker, and it, and it's really weird because at one end you have all those clear bottle beers, extremely low bitterness, um, but extremely popular, and at the other end you have all the craft beers with high bitterness and 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 different taste profiles, and whereas all the traditional beers are sort of in the middle, um, so you have one one. Um, push to easy drinking and another push to more flavoursome. And so I think the explosion of craft brewers uh, or the bigger brand portfolios, it's, that's just an answer to people wanting more variety. I mean, when I had my first beer, I was only two years old or two years new.
1: <laughs> and, and Chuck, there's a certain irony when, when I hear, hear James say that. There's a certain irony that a lot of the, the emerging craft beer uh, styles are very low bitterness as well.
0: Uh, yes, some of the the NIPAs, the New England IPAs, the ones that are uh, dry hopped uh, to large levels, uh, they don't really get the bitterness levels going through them. They get all of the the the, the hop the hoppy fruitiness that comes through.
1: Well, I, I, I'm uh, very conscious that we're up against time. So, uh, James uh, Brinley, thank you very very much for for joining us uh, for this conversation and uh, sharing some of those insights uh, from from a career in beer.
2: You're most welcome. It's been fun.
1: And uh, Chuck, thank you very much for uh, sharing with us, or uh, well, both of you, uh, really, uh, sharing with us your plans for uh, Lord Howe Brewing, which uh, when you said it, I, I sort of thought it's kind of like Craft Beer Island as opposed to uh, yeah. the, the very successful <laughs> Forex Island.
2: Yeah. Well, you. Before, you, before you go, Matt, we've got another project we're going to announce soon, and that's going to be in the great city of Newcastle. When we announce it, we'll be sure to uh, let you
1: know first. Oh, thank you, thank you for that tease. We can sort of uh, put out. I'm, I'm sure our uh, ratings are going to go through the roof on this this episode.
0: <laughs> Probably, yes, Matt. Good luck
1: to you. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, James. See you, Matt. Bye. And that was James Brindley. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryo Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Crime Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and our proud sponsors of this conversation and the Radio Brews News channel. And as a guest on Beer as a Conversation, James also is a recipient of our Beer as a Conversation branded Yeti Rambler mug. Thanks to our good friends at Yeti. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show.